with us. Oh my god. That was one of the most fucking unwatchable games of fucking any sport I've ever seen in my life. Let's let's be perfectly honest. The US deserved to lose for nothing. For nothing. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. I don't They deserve to get run off the pitch. I that is the most feckless performance by a soccer team I've ever seen. Club or country, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It was incredible how no one seemed to give any shit at all, except for Pulisic, who's like fucking running around. The dude was running halfway around the pit the entire so, time. It was incredible. So, and I'm probably going to talk about this on the podcast. This is essentially, other than Pulisic, the same team that I started watching in 2010 when I started watching soccer. It's yeah. the same fucking guys. And you know what? In 2010, they probably like really wanted it. And I just don't think they fucking do anymore. I don't think like, so. They, they don't give a shit. They're going to they've been to the World Cup. They've been out of the group stages. They know they're not going to do any better than that this time. Like their best case scenario is making a, a quarterfinal. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, yes. it's true. Fuck. And so fucking Michael Bradley doesn't give a shit. Clint Dempsey wants his one goal to pass Donovan and then he's going to retire. He might not even be at the World Cup. I don't think he is going to be at the World Cup. Right. So he doesn't give a shit. Michael Bradley doesn't give a shit. No one gives a shit. Fucking terrible. Can we fucking? Why the fuck did we hire Bruce fucking Arena? <laughs> oh my god! I should save some of this for the podcast. Yeah, you should. Jesus Christ! I mean, oh. we just here's what we'll do. We'll just start the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna start. Um, hello and uh, welcome to Let's Fix Football. Uh, this is your host Gabe Lesra. <laughs> And uh, I am joined uh, as, uh, well, for the second time ever by the magic of the internet by a very upset and angry Evan Matier. Evan, uh, so you were just saying that the United States should never have ever hired Bruce Arena. Do you want to expand on any of the other curses you were hurling at me? So first, fuck the U.S. men's national team. They're garbage. They're garbage at football. And more importantly, they don't seem to actually care about winning football games. Um, I just watched the Honduras game. You watched it with me here at the end. And it is it was it was not just that they were bad and they definitely were bad. It was that they were disorganized, that they didn't seem to actually give a shit what happened in the game. Um, There was there there was just no energy at all. And it it was just terrible. So so I wanted to lead with this because I not like we're not going to lead with this analysis, but I just wanted to give you all a a, a sense of the anger that I'm feeling on on the other end of this line. It's really awesome. (laughs) God, it's awful. So it's fucking international break week here. uh, And international breaks suck balls because international football sucks. FIFA sucks, and we're going to talk about FIFA, and we're going to talk about, you know, just the general shitness of international soccer. Um, but before we get into that, we're going to jump in also, oh, after that, we're going to jump into the transfer shit. Um, we're going to have a laugh about Barcelona, and then we're going to recap. Um, so we, we actually watched two U.S. men's national teams games this week, and we're also going to talk about the fact that fucking MLS is actually still going on during international break week, which I actually didn't know about, and apparently that's what, what happened. So, and then we'll end up with our bad takes, which are fucking terrible this week really good um and they run the gamut of like normal people talking to us on twitter and uh media organizations and actually fucking sporting organizations i've got a great one um so all that and more today uh but let's just start with the international break evan we're not going to talk about the u.s until later because i want to save a little bit of this fire um let's just go just do a quick roundup uh so in europe basically what we're looking at right now is a situation where england uh has looked pretty bad, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. has scraped through. France has done exactly the same. Uh, the class of uh, of Europe seems to be Spain and Germany right now, at least. We don't really know if that's going to continue, but it, it makes sense because they have both you know absolutely fantastic teams. I would expect France to get a little bit better, uh, and that's basically my take. Uh, I mean, Portugal is going to qualify, and assuming that Ronaldo goes back into God mode, they should be forced to be reckoned with again. Um, and then, you know, turning to South America, Brazil struggled a little bit with Ecuador today. Um, Argentina is <laughs> is shockingly bad. And I, I know that we, we don't have this on the schedule to talk about, but I just wanted to mention that Argentina looks terrible. So I, I, I got to tell you, I uh, for the last few years, I've been predicting Argentina would win a World Cup. And I, I, at this point, I think it's more likely that they'll get fucking eliminated in the group stage than they'll win a World Cup. So uh, they look terrible. 
Um, obviously, the U.S. looks fucking terrible. Costa Rica looks, you know, actually exactly like the team that did so exciting in the last World Cup. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, there's not that much, you know, to 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 say. I'm I'm particularly interested, Evan, and I don't know if you got a chance to watch some of the some of the European games, but like, damn, Spain put a whooping on Italy, which was a huge man, huge game for Spain. Yeah, man. So I, I did watch. I, I spent the weekend lamenting the international break, like any club soccer fan, um, but trying to watch my favorite players play badly in European matches. Um, and I, I kind of, my takes kind of similar to you. So Spain looked really, really good. And this generation of Spain, you know, we, you know, we talk about kind of their last golden generation that won them the, the world cup before it looks like they might be having another golden generation because these young players, East Conocencio and, and, and just even beyond that just look really good. And they look like they're coming into their own right in time for the world cup. Um, so if I was, uh, you know, another European team or any team looking to, to, at what my draw might be in the group stages, I would not want to be with Spain. Yeah. I, I mean, as a Real Madrid fan, obviously this is particularly exciting because it hasn't been that Real Madrid players have been the class of the Spanish attack or really any other unit in the Spanish side for a while now, but it looks back, you know, now we're looking at it. It seems like Spain's best lineup is going to include something, including, you know, Asensio and Isco, which as any Real Madrid fan would tell you, that actually makes a lot of sense because they're fucking fantastic. And, you know, Asensio is just, just, just with his club side, Isco, the same thing, just, they're they're required to you know, you're ba- they're basically fucking coming into the side and just announcing their presence like we're gonna like they absolutely have to fucking start for the Spain side because like what are you gonna do I mean how do you bench these guys right now and they're they're playing so well I it, you know beyond Spain Gabe can I just say that broadly my take is that I'm really excited for this World Cup um, not like there's a lot of reasons not to be excited about it starting with the fact that it's Russia <laughs> which is awful. And the U.S. very possibly might not be there, which is awful. And Syria might, which is also awful. Yeah, it's, all, but it's all fucking hilarious. It's all awful. Also, but, but on the other hand, this is shaping up to be like a really competitive World Cup. There are a lot of really good teams. I don't think there's a clear favorite. Germany looks good. Spain looks good. France is talented. England, if they can ever get their shit together, has a ton of talent. I think Brazil uh, looks really good, too. Actually. Brazil looks really good. Uh, and then you've got the wild card teams that could really mix things up in the knockouts, like Costa Rica, yep. um, even South Korea. Right? You've got some really good-looking football teams that could make for a really interesting World Cup. Now, I I, I have to say I'm I'm both very excited and and a bit fucking annoyed about that because I here's the thing any exciting good World Cup is good for FIFA and FIFA are like the fucking comic book villains you know, of, of, of international organizations. Like, I don't think that there is an or international organization that is quite as comically evil fucking supervillain shit as FIFA. And like, they're so fucking supervillain, Evan, that they, their, their boardroom in, in Switzerland, fucking, it's like the same exact thing as the war room in uh, Dr. Strange love. Just look <laughs> that up. Like, it's the same fucking, how do you fucking sit down there and look and not think you're just a fucking evil sack of shit? Like they're all so terrible and everything that anything that makes them unhappy and that makes that organization closer to being the fucking at, on the fucking trash heap of history that it deserves and be fucking burned down to the ground and have the fucking earth that it sits on salted. OK, anything that does that is good. And a good World Cup in Russia, of all places, is not good for my ultimate goal of fucking destroying FIFA, imprisoning everyone who's involved in the board and uh uh, yeah, just burning it down and making sure that nothing ever fucking lives there again. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with how bad FIFA is. It's like, you know, them and OPEC are competing for who's the worst international organization. It's a fucking comically uh, evil people. It's just unbelievable. It's like, so like, you know, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit now because, you know, why not? Uh, one of the things that, Evan, you sent me earlier was, so everyone on, on soccer Twitter has been exulting about the fact that, you know, there's this amazing kind of miracle goal for Syria where they qualified over Iran, which is another comically evil, like, this is all terrible. These are, <laughs> no, no I, can't, I, mean, I can't. Yeah, it, so I, I just want to point everyone towards this really, this, everybody should go read this great piece on ESPN um, about the the role that the Syrian national team has played in Bashir al-Assad's propaganda 
and in his brutal prosecution of the Civil War, how he's used the national team to try to prop up the regime um, and how FIFA has pointedly refused to do anything about this. Uh, FIFA just uh, FIFA. So everyone's clear has a regulation that allows them to suspend and any national team if the government is interfering for political reasons in the operation of the team. And they do. Can I just pop in really quickly to say that they actually fucking exercise this? Not exactly this, but a very similar regulation when one of the one of the governments, like in an East African country, that I can't remember whether it was, it was like Nigeria. Nigeria. I think it was Nigeria. Fucking Nigeria. refused to play pay one of their players for one of their matches, and FIFA fucking brought the ban hammer down on this like fucking two years and blah blah blah, and they won't do it for any of these fucking genocidal ass governments. It's terrible. So, so, it's, it's awful. So Syria, let's just be clear what they've done. They, they have compelled national team players to go to pro-government rallies. Right. They hold their passports and will not allow them to leave the country if they don't play and support the uh, – and support the regime. They arrest their families and hold them hostage. And sometimes they arrest, torture, and kill players. National team players have been executed by the regime. They've been politicized in every way. The national team stadiums have been used as military bases to shell civilian uh, neighborhoods uh, in in rebel-held cities. Like this is this is as fucking political as it gets. And here's what FIFA said when somebody brought up brought this up to them over recent years. FIFA has been made aware of allegations by several parties, remember all sides, all contradicting information according to different sources concerning violence that has affected the practice of football in the country. While we fully understand – no, you don't fucking understand – the tragic circumstances surrounding those events. As a sport governing body, we also oh, realize that these you. alleged actions go far beyond the domain of sporting matters in a situation where the whole country is mired in civil war. Now, Gabe, let me tell you what they really fucking care about. They care about the fact that Assad is buddies with Russia. Russia bought a World Cup and they want to have a good World Cup. That's what they fucking care about. That's why they won't do anything, even though they suspend Nigeria because they fire the head of the football association. It's cartoonishly evil. It's the, it's the most awful thing I can think that a sport organization could possibly do to make the world worse. Well, what about uh, choosing a comically uh, corrupt government to host the World Cup after the previously comically corrupt government that you know is paying for fucking slave labor to build the stadiums that shouldn't even fucking exist in this place where you're going to have to try to have fucking air-conditioned stadiums because the pitch will be 145 degrees. Like, what about that? What about the thousands of people that are dying every day to build those stadiums? I mean, this is like... It's all fucking par for the course. Like, I can't be shocked by anything that FIFA does I mean, like, this is terrible, right? Like, it's all fucking terrible. This organization is fucking comic book supervillains. Like, I can't... I, I, I mean, this is the kind of shit that Captain America would break through the top of a fucking dome in their <laughs> fucking, like, building that, that they look like their fucking Doctor Strange Love conference room and start beating people up. And I'd be like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, it makes sense. That's basically what should happen here. Like, I mean, look, we don't have to talk more about FIFA... Because we don't have, we only have a limit. We're trying to hold this podcast to a yeah. reasonable amount of time. We went for an hour and twenty minutes last time, so like we're trying to hold it down. Um, but we and we don't need to rant more because I think that anyone who's listening to this, if you don't agree with us, you've already turned it off because you don't want to hear us yell about FIFA anymore. And if you do, well, you already agree with us. So I, I'm interested, Evan, in your take on why MLS is still playing international games or sorry games during the international break. Because here's the thing: I'm looking around. It's not like like you look at Europe, you're like, oh, it's not that big a deal. They're not that many international, you know, players in MLS, right? But then if you actually look at the other qualifying matches, there are tons of MLS players in Honduras and US team. Like plenty of other these teams have MLS players. Why the fuck are they still playing these games? Um, so you know, one part of me is glad that they play them because hopefully one day it means that MLS players don't play for the US men's national team and good <laughs> players play instead of the bad ones who play in MLS. Um, so I, I guess to answer your question more seriously, the, apparently clubs have a choice whether or not to play on international break days or not. Um, and they can choose to play on the, on that day, depending on what they think the burden is going to be on their roster. Um, and some of them choose to capitalize on the chance to get more eyeballs, I guess. Um, I, I read that somewhere. I really actually yeah. don't know if it's true or not. It sounds dumb. 
I mean, it sounds dumb. It sounds dumb. And, and my understanding actually is that you can um, reach out to your teams and like do petitions and stuff. And actually, some of the teams have refused to play on international breaks. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, so you should yeah, do that. You know. I, so MLS has had this weird aversion to syncing up their schedule to the rest of the world. So the trans, like the season is played only like 50% overlapping with the off season of the rest of the world. It's transfer window, like transfer policies and everything are completely askew. It doesn't care about international breaks. They, so for some reason just resists falling in the kind of the world football schedule. And I don't hundred percent get it. I think it harkens back to times when MLS was completely a backwater and no one cared anyway. Yeah. No, uh, that's that's that exactly. And, and, and the fact that I mean, look, they 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 lined it up, I think, pretty smartly uh, to this period of the year, because, you know, during the summer is really when the MLS season goes on. Then the playoffs occur in, in the early fall when I mean, if you think about the American sports culture, this is a perfect time to do it because baseball blows. Like I like baseball, but it blows like it blows. <laughs> and like there's not other sports going on. If you tried to line that shit up in the fall, you've got comp- competition with the NFL, which is like everyone's favorite thing in this country. And then you've got basketball starting in October. And if you basically do it at any other point, because even at the end of this, like at the beginning of the spring, right, you know, winter, spring, you've got fucking basketball, which everyone no. still yeah. likes. And the beginning of baseball, which everyone still likes. We got, everyone hates baseball in the summer. It's very smart. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. And to be honest, as a fan, I watch most of my MLS in July when there's nothing else to watch. Exactly. And that's so fair enough. Uh, I, it, it feels cowardly because if you were a smarter league, you would do it a different way, I think. But, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm okay with it. I mean, I get it. All right, so let's move on to the transfer deadline. Um, it was a <laughs> – I mean, one of those shitty takes is going to be about Barcelona. So let's, let's wait on Barcelona. Let's talk about everyone else. This was the – so in this transfer window, uh, we've set – the one, two, and three top prices ever paid for a player, starting with the Neymar uh, transfer, then going to, I believe, the next one after that will end up being uh, Kylian Mbappe to PSG. And then after that, it's going to be Usman Nembele to Barcelona. So what the fuck is happening? Like, is this just the way things are going and, and these teams are going to have to begin to look for younger talent that they can invest in earlier? Is that, is that where we are? I mean, I think that we're like very much in a bubble um, transfer wise where a lot of teams are flush with a lot of cash, more cash than they've ever had before. And they're running up the prices on these young players that may or may not be any good. Um, and, And if they're good. Uh, great. If Mbappe is a, you know, the next Ballon d'Or winner, then great. If he's not, and it were, if Dembele is not, um, these teams are going to pay in a real way because even if you have PSG money or you have Barca money, you can only take a 200 million euro loss so many times. Um, and I think that eventually that bubble is going to pop, right? I think that teams are going to start figuring out where the actual long-term value of these young players is in this new cash flush era. Um, and uh, let me tell you, I don't think it's 150 million euros. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know if there is an, any absolute value, especially, I mean, I <laughs> with PSG, the way it is structured, they can basically like, evade any cost regulation that they want because they're owned by the same club that also owns the people that own their television rights. Do you, do you understand what that means? Like if you think hard about what that means, it means that they can just say, oh, well, we've renegotiated our contract with our television yeah. provider to give us this much more revenue for that season. And, it, and it's such bullshit. And, and I can't believe that the financial – I mean I can't – I shouldn't say I can't believe it. <laughs> I was going to say, really? You can't, you can't believe that fucking WAFO would do something fucking comically corrupt? Of course, financial fair play regulations don't pierce that corporate corporate fiction and see that they're manipulating their own revenue streams and that's just a shell game. But of course, they don't they don't do that because they don't actually care. Um, no, they've of never intended to enforce it. And I love so one of the things this is like this this era of the of world you know engagement right now. I'm really excited about in some level because what it's doing is tearing down these fucking fictions that people have had about these fucking institutions. Like look at look at fucking Wafa saying, "Oh, we're going to investigate PSG for financial fair." Like, yeah, you are. You're going to fucking investigate them. 
What are you gonna like? What are you gonna do? Like, this is a retrospective process. That's a a three year running time clock. Yeah, like, I know. They're gonna yep. they can they just like oh well yeah yeah you know what and and there's also on the books a regulation at Wafa if they're like yeah actually we recognize that we violated financial fair play but here's what we did we sold Angel Di Maria to Barcelona for sixty million euros and that's beginning our process. This is how we're gonna ameliorate it. That's all they have yep. to say. They yep. have to say yep. that yep. they're not even gonna get fucking fined for it. It's like. Yep. I like that we're tearing down these horribly corrupt, terrible institutions and just understand, like making people look and see at the bare bones of what's really happening because these things are fucking unbelievably comically fucking corrupt. I mean, it was it, it was honestly better before financial fair play when the billionaire could just cut the check right. and we all just knew this was happening. Exactly. And, and like, the funny thing better. about that, Evan, is that like. We actually saw billionaires come in, buy clubs, and then implode because actually they were like, oh, shit, I'm losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, I don't want to do that because these clubs, like, actually a lot of this shit isn't that profitable. And, like, being sports, like, isn't that profitable. And PSG by itself wouldn't be that profitable without being sports. So, like, they're going to lose some money, but they're fucking, like, cuttery billionaires on oil. So, like, if as long as the oil bubble persists, they're going to be fine. But, like, eventually – there's going to be a moment when they're going to have to figure out, wait a minute, do we really want to keep losing 500 million euros a year? Like, well, no. I hope. Uh, oh. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, we're talking winners and losers in the transfer deadline. I think the – I mean, obviously, um, the loser of this deadline – I mean, it's funny because, man, we've had I, – I said right after the, the window in Spain closed that I was very excited for the, the well-actually piece about how Barcelona's deadline wasn't that bad. And immediately someone responded, actually, well, actually, they got all the people that they were looking for. It's like, really? Really? Yeah, they got they? Polino, man. Polino. <laughs> I think the guy expressed Polino. We called Polino like solid midfield depth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So, obviously, we're, we'll talk about Barca in a second, but I think let's go to England first. I think the obvious winner <laughs> – actually, there's some hilarious stories coming out of England regarding the transfer deadline. We found out today that apparently uh, in the Barkley deal at Chelsea, his representatives, while he was sitting in the medical room waiting – like, this is the story that he turned down Chelsea as he was getting a medical to sign his contract at Chelsea. Uh, his representatives tried to get Antonio Conte on the phone. His fucking phone was off. And so that's why he, he, he turned around and left. I heard I had some Chelsea people be like, actually, Barkley fucking sucks. So we're kind of glad about it. But like if you think about it, break down all the shit that's going on there. How do you have your phone off? So, so on deadline I, have couple, day. I, have a, I have a couple of things to add to that. So, so first, Spurs were heavily linked with Barkley. And let me add that that Barkley does fucking suck. And <laughs> I don't really want him. Um, like, I guess I'd take him for like 10 million or on a free transfer, but like, don't pay any actual money for, for Ross Barkley. Cause he's terrible. Second, the, apparently what they were trying to talk to Conte about was the fact that Barkley was concerned about playing time. Unbelievable. Now, if, it's if unbelievable. If you already realized that playing time was going to be a problem for you going to Chelsea, then I don't know what to tell you. You're on the fucking medical fucking table now too late, buddy. Yeah, what uh, the fuck? Like, how did you not think that through? That's so and, obvious. And then he just storms the fuck off back to Everton. Like a little child. Oh, oh, my God. But, like, and the fact is that it makes Chelsea look terrible because he couldn't get their coach on the phone. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, if they wanted this guy enough to pay all that money for him, get the coach on the phone. It's not that complicated. Uh, are you in so, a movie? So, Why are you in a movie? Like, what are you doing, man? Keep your phone on. doesn't so, matter. Babe, how are you not in the know. office? I don't know if you know this, but Musa Sissoko did a similar thing to force a move to Spurs last year. He was supposed to go to Everton to sign with them. Instead, he turned his phone off and flew to Tottenham <laughs> and refused to answer his phone until they agreed to sell him to Tottenham instead of Everton. Oh, my God. I didn't know there was precedent for this shit. That's yeah, he awesome. Just, he just fucking ghosted Everton. That's awesome, actually. I'm really yeah. into that. I think people should do uh, that more. Big but loser yeah. for me, big loser for me, Arsenal uh, were oh, I mean, Yeah, I think even more than Chelsea, actually, because at least uh, so, Chelsea... Uh, they got Morata. Sorry? Or at least Chelsea got Morata. Right, and at least Chelsea didn't fucking destabilize their whole roster, having all these people say they're going to leave. Like, obviously, Diego Costa wanted to leave, but, like, it's not like their two best players, like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to leave now. And yeah, and, both, and now they're both going to leave in January on freeze, so uh, have fun. <laughs> like, Apparently... 
instead of getting 60 million for Alexis, they're going to get, you know, if he goes to city, they'll get 20 or he'll leave to Spain on a free. Yeah. I mean, I actually heard that Real Madrid is interested in him, uh, on a free. They should be. be like, I mean, yeah, right. Like, like, why not? As, as a rotation winner, like if, if he's shit. willing to accept that role and like, understand that he's not going to play every game, then yeah, actually yeah. I, I would love him. Like as a Madrid fan, he's terrifyingly good. And seeing Arsenal fuck this up so bad has been amazing for a Spurs fan. So I've been um, thinking so they're, of, my, they're my big loser. Yeah. In England. I think my, the big my, winners, I think across the market, I think United and Milan. I mean, like if you look across Europe, the team that's actually improved the most is AC Milan. They have spent their net spend is huge. They, they and they've totally revamped their team. Uh, just, just I would encourage everyone to just take a look because they, they're they're. I'm and I'm actually really psyched about it because the truth is that like I like having these kind of traditional powerhouse clubs back in the mix, and it's it's a real. It's really sad when one of them falls apart. And the truth is that AC Milan was a team that was run by a fucking, you know, lunatic syphilitic maniac, like for the last 10 years. <laughs> and they only like got by, by the grace of God and Kaka, right? Like to get any of their titles back in the day. And by a team that they'd established in the nineties that were like 35 by the time they won their last champions league. And like, then it all fell apart because of course it did. Cause they were run by fucking sex fiend, fucking criminal Berlusconi. Uh, who also happened to be the fucking prime minister of that country, uh, and he finally sold the team, and now they're looking like they're turning it around, which is really great. Um, and I'm actually really psyched about it, even if in a few years it means that they're competing with Madrid. Uh, I think United um, in England is actually a really big winner also, Evan. Yeah, no, I mean, I, as much as I hate to say it, I agree. I think that Lukaku is actually exactly the center forward that they needed um, to lead the line. He is. He is a really good striker. He can dominate games. Uh, he's got pace. He can dominate the, you know, the air game. Like he's really good. And they already had quite a few decent midfielders. And then, um, and then, and then adding Matic in the, in defensive midfield is just all really good. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, um, absolutely totally agree with that. Um, I said before the season that I, I rate Morata higher than Lukaku. I still do. Uh, but I do definitely, uh, I think that's definitely affected by the fact that, you know, my opinion is affected by the fact that I've seen Morata play in the Champions League. And I'm not sure that United's goal right now is to be a super competitive team in Europe and more to be like a perennial winner in England. And I, I just, I haven't seen Lukaku do it quite at the level Morata's done it. That being said, I also haven't seen Morata do it in England the way Lukaku's done it. So I, I understand that, uh, that, that, that decision by United, but, uh, for my money, if you're trying to be competitive in Europe, and maybe that's what Chelsea was going for, you get you get the guy that you know is proven in Europe. Um, you know, none of them are Harry Kane. <laughs> hey, uh, well, one of the bad takes for this week, and I'm just going to break it right now, uh, is someone who was telling me that uh, I think Real Madrid should go for Harry Kane next window because you know no one's talking about him, so he'll be really cheap. <laughs> super, super cheap. Super cheap. I mean, in a world where uh, Coutinho is apparently worth 150 million euros, um, I have to imagine that that Kane would then need to be 200 million. Like, yeah, the guy's, 30 million. Won, <laughs> the guy, the guy's won two golden boots in a row. He came in second three years ago. Um, like, it, it, it's it's absurd to think that he would come in a bargain. It's like, also it's, absurd to think that Real Madrid would want to bring in someone like Harry Kane to like rotate. With fucking Kareem Benzema up front, like who the fuck? Like or the Harry or the Harry? Why Kane would Harry won? Kane want to do that? Like doesn't make any fucking sense. Like Madrid doesn't want to bring in a guy who's like in a demand to be a full time starter. Like it's just it's just fucking nonsense. It's all dumb. Um, all right, so I think we have to talk about Barcelona. Uh, yeah, there's another story that broke this week that is. <laughs> I think it's even funnier than the uh, the Ross Barkley one, though not not quite as uh, as like fucking like three stooges level funny like this one is all right so what happened basically is that apparently uh <laughs> this is just my real madrid fan not and my like one bottle of wine down but like <laughs> so basically what happened is that dibala um uh from juventus was offered to barcelona at a <laughs> at an unbelievably reduced price of 120 million euros which <laughs> to the previous to this window is like the record but Actually, it's not that much higher than any previous transfer. And, like, it's a total fucking steal in this window. And not only was he offered it to them at the beginning of the window, he was apparently offered to them at the end of the window for the same fucking price of $120 million. It's unbelievable. And then Barca turned them down 
to go after Coutinho, who I think anyone who has watched these players play would say is objectively worse. I just, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't. I, I think on Real Madrid, I would turn Coutinho coming to this team down, but I would, I would sign up for Dybala. Like, this is like, it just seems so obvious to me. And like, the idea, it just, it makes both sides look so fucking bad because Juventus have said forever that, that Dybala is their future. He's a prodigy. They gave him the number 10, blah, 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 blah. And Barca have said forever that, like, they like him, that, that he's a buddy of Messi's, that they want to get him. But, like, no, instead we're going to fucking get Coutinho, who's, like, Neymar's buddy and, like, really, like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck is that? Like, I don't understand. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. So, Gabe, if I was trying to write, like, a Barcelona, like, dark fan fiction where I was imagining how I could possibly construct a transfer window to force Messi to not sign his contract <laughs> and leave on a free transfer and sink Barcelona for a generation, I don't think I could write a script, write a fan fiction as catastrophically effective as Barcelona's actual window. Yeah, I know. I, 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 so that's the thing. That's why the whole, like, actually Barcelona, like, replaced Neymar with, a, like, a young prodigy and brought in, like, depth and stuff. That's why it all falls apart because, like, I mean, Lionel if, Messi hasn't signed his extension. He hasn't if, signed his fucking extension. If we let the Managing Madrid comment section <laughs> make decisions for Barcelona, I think they would do better just they just wouldn't be able to imagine as bad a transfer window trying to hurt Barcelona. No, that's right. Let's pay fucking 50, 45 million euros for fucking washed up shitty midfielder from Guangzhou and China. And then go put all the chips on Coutinho. But Dybala, nah, not no, good enough. Pass. Pass on that guy, even though he's Messi's friend. And then not get uh, Di Maria over like 10 million euros. That was like, and the other thing that came out is like, apparently PSG, yeah, we're, we're ready to sell Di Maria for like 70, 60, 70 million. And Barca was like, we're not going above 50. Really? Yeah. You're not yeah. going above 50? Jeez. Especially when you just need to give, give your fan base something, right? You just missed on Coutinho and everyone else. Give them something. Give them Di Maria at least. <laughs> Oh, it's 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 wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it because what I like is it, it's unbelievably like fucking comically inept. And it. I mean, look, I almost wish that they weren't as comically inept because it seems very clear that what the next step is an absolute fucking vote of no confidence. And to the extent that fucking like Messi is like, yeah, I'm going to fucking leave. If they all he has to say is like continue to not sign that contract. And Iniesta has even said, yeah, you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to stay next year. And like, he's the kind of, t- he's like a Chavi type where you're like, yeah, he'll go to like Cotter or whatever, but really he'll, he'll retire with the team. Right now, Juventus is like, actually, you know, we'll take Iniesta if you were like getting rid of him or whatever. And like, yeah. like that's, think about how fucking disastrous this, this window has to be for your absolute fucking club legends to be like, you know what? It, I actually still have a couple good years left. Like not good, not great, but like good. Like I could really contribute to this team. I don't want to contribute to this fucking team run by your fucking shitty board. That's how bad oh, this board is. Like unbelievable. Gabe, my my bold prediction is that uh, is that Messi's wearing powder blue in Man City next year. Wow. That's, I mean, it's a very bold prediction. I think that uh, I think that it's more likely that the Barca board gets a vote of no confidence in like October and. Uh, there's a total revolution at the club, and he sticks around because of that. But if the, if Bartomeu wins that vote, I think it's very possible he'll leave. Just he'll just fuck off, and he won't fuck off like for anyone of money. Like he'll fuck off for fucking free. The best player, one of the best players of his, yeah, you know, one of the two best players of all time, or three best players of all time, will fuck off for no money to your yep. direct European rivals to play with his old coach. It's, it's amazing. It's so. Uh, all right, I I don't. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit more about Barca when we do the bad takes because I, I want to read from their press conference statement about why the market was so bad for them. <laughs> but before that, I'm, we're going to go back to the United States men's national team, which has completed two of the worst fucking international football games I've ever seen. Uh, we watched the United States. So this is our game of the week. Um, we didn't watch MLS this week, or at least I didn't. I mean, you may have, Evan, but I didn't. Um, no, I can only take so much bad football on a weekend. <laughs> Uh, We watched USA play Costa Rica in New York, and then we watched uh, USA play Honduras in Honduras, and they were just both terrible. 
So um, let's just uh, up front, let's just say, so the U.S. lost against Costa Rica two to nothing. Yeah. Um, and then they just drew Honduras 1-1 like 20 minutes before we started recording this. Yeah. And it was not at all a given that they were going to draw Honduras. It was Jeez. a one nothing loss until minute 85 for the U.S. when they tapped in one of the nastiest goals I've ever seen. Uh, and everyone on Twitter, like U.S. men's to- soccer Twitter, like fucking celebrated. Like it was just like well, the and, greatest. And, and, goal and ever. here's the thing: like, so you want that, and we can go back and talk about Costa Rica in a second. But for the Honduras goal, right, the equalizer, the U.S. team was down one nothing. It was the 86th or 87th minute. Honduras, the U.S. did not look threatening at all. Um, and if the U.S. lost this match, they would have to probably win two matches just to make a playoff. Right. So this was crucial. And that moment when Bobby Wood's going to score that goal, that should be dramatic and exciting. Like that should be everything that uh, international soccer is. And instead, it was just ugly. And and I don't it it just there was no inspiration. Like I didn't feel good about digging out that draw like I felt about some U.S. team performances before. Because the whole match was so uninspired that I wasn't I didn't feel really behind this team when they finally did equalize. That's and that's a crucial point. I mean, here's what I'll say. I think the free kick that that set up that equalizer was really brilliant. I don't remember who took it, but it was really 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 well took. Uh and it led to a really desperation save from the Honduran goalkeeper. I think if that shit goes in, that's a totally different story. Not like we're not telling a different story about the match, but it's like it's not this shit where like it bobbles around and then Bobby Wood has time to take two two touches with like within three feet of the Honduran keeper. Uh, but like this, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, like they, it was a totally uninspired match. I, I, I wanted to mention one thing. I, I was amazed by how slow the ball rolled. Like it was just an incredibly slow match on that pitch. I don't know what happened. Like, I guess maybe I'm used to Spanish pitches where they water the field yeah. before and, and halftime, but the ball con- was unbelievable. CONCACAF con- pitches are kind of notoriously terrible. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a garbage pitch and that's part of it. And I mean, referees also, man, I thought there was just no, no, like, and normally I'm not the person to just jump in here and say the referees were garbage and it wasn't even garbage just for the United States. Like they were garbage. Like there, there weren't one series of consistent calls. Like there just was nothing like, I don't know. It just felt like every call was totally random coin flip, like which way it was going to go. Because when players collide with each other, you have to make a coin flip basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, this this game, the Honduras game, and the and the Costa Rica game, um, the the U.S. they weren't like they were really bad. But the worst thing about it, I think, is that I don't know what to change. Like, it's not just that the managing is bad, and it is, and it's not just that the players are bad, and they are. Um, it seems to be something systemic. Like these players don't have any belief at all, um, in their ability to compete at a high level. Um, and I used to, I remember watching this team in 2010. That's kind of when I really started watching soccer was the 2010 world cup. And it was essentially the same team as we're watching today, right? Player wise, like, a lot of carryover in Dempsey and Bradley and a lot of key players were already around in 2010, but they were really young and hungry then. Um, and that team, like that team fought and scrapped for everything. And I just remember vividly, you know, uh, Landon Donovan's sliding goal against Algeria in the, and how, how excited I was and how excited, how much that team was fighting for that result to move out of the groups. And it was just incredible. And then you see this team lethargically dragging themselves around the pitch in New Jersey and then blaming the fact that 20% of the fans are Costa Rican and other bullshit for the fact that they just play good soccer. It's not that fucking complicated. God damn. Like I just can't fucking just, they just don't seem to give a shit. And and some people think it's arrogance. They just think, Oh, we're the best CONCACAF team. We're going to qualify. And I, I think that that, I don't think, it's arrogance i think it's complacency right these these players this set of players have been to a couple world cups they've always been told that's good enough and it's a great result if you advance out of the group and and that's fucking good enough that's what we expect of the u.s men's national team and it's it's fucking bullshit have that mindset you goddamn get crushed by costa rica you lose to hunt or you draw honduras and you end up sliding into a playoff with syria that you'll fucking lose 
<laughs> okay. Uh, we're not. I'm. Not, I, I'm. I'm excited to talk <laughs> the possibility of a U.S. Syria playoff, but we're not quite there yet. I, I will say. Uh, what was amazing for me uh, about watching these games, because I also have very vivid memories of this U.S. team. I watched that match in a bar in New York City, and everyone fucking lost it when, when Donovan scored that, that goal in 2010. And I also watched, uh, watched all the U.S. matches in 2014 in, in similar bars in New York, and it was the same idea. Like, people give a shit the team, but more than anything, right, the team seemed to really give a shit. And it's unbelievable watching this team right now. And, and I've never seen... Since, like, when I was a kid and the USA was, a, like, a joke and it was lucky if they made it to the World Cup or they made it to World Cup by default, like, in Atlanta, like, 96. Like, I've never seen it, like, quite like that, right? Like, and, you know, this is this is an embarrassment. And the only players that really wanted it out there were the youngish ones, like Wood, who scored the goal, and then, then Pulisic, who was, you know, actually a fucking future superstar. So, uh, I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know where to end. Like where this goes. I. I. You're saying it's not just the coaching, but it feels like just the coaching because, like, how do you not have a more amped up team for this absolutely fucking crucial match? Like both of these were crucial, and like, like, I know Latin American fans. Like they would respect and even root for the United States, especially like ha- like Costa Rican Americans or like mexican americans they would be happy a lot of them would be happy to root for the united states if the united states was a fucking half decent team that played with any heart right but like you go into a match in new york against costa rica and no one gives a fucking shit about the match and you get fucking run off the pitch by a costa rican team who's only like actually world-class player is their fucking keeper like i'm like what do you what, what do you expect like what are these fans supposed to do like oh yeah go usa like this team's fucking blows and doesn't give a shit and acts like they're going to win by default against these teams. Like, fuck you. So so one <laughs> thing I would say, one thing I, I do feel the need to say, my rant aside, if Navas isn't as amazing as he is, then we're possibly talking about the U.S. winning that match 2-1. Um, or at least drawing it, I think. Or at You're least right. drawing it. And then it's a, it feels like a different story. Um, but that's not what happened, right? The U S didn't find a way past Navas. And we are in this situation when it seems like nobody cares and the U S is backsliding. Um, I mean, we, I, I, what's even, I don't even know if there's a point game in us talking too much more about tactically what looks wrong with the U S the fact they're getting run over in the midfield and they don't actually have any fullbacks. No, uh, I, I don't, I, I agree with that. I don't think there's any point because like, Actually, I well, one of the things that I was thinking is that actually I'm not sure that it's a technical issue with the players. Like maybe it is, but my feeling is that it's actually a motivational issue. And I just I think fucking Coach Arenas is garbage. I think that he was terrible. I think Klinsman was fucking terrible too. But like the truth is that the United States hasn't had uh, a you know a, a competent coach in a very long time. And I just fucking hate Arenas. I think he's terrible. Like this is I think and I think all of the shit that he's done in this World Cup qualifying is obvious uh and 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 in support of my feelings about him. So hopefully like he, he changes my feelings, but I think I fucking think he's terrible. Yeah. No God, everything's awful. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's just they fucking got the draw. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, like, they did. They got the draw. Right? Like, and, and as you were saying, like, you're right that actually international football is about this. Except for, in this case, this match, like, if you had flipped the script, right, and U.S. played the way Honduras did and actually, like, won the game fairly, and then Honduras equalized in minute 85, that's a pretty good match to watch because the scrappy, like, home, you know, but, like, yeah. outgun team... Had a great match and then won, and scored a you know had a had a had a tough match but scored a scrappy goal to equalize against an unlucky like favored side. Then you were talking about a normal like yeah yes. yeah it's still kind of garbage game but like it's still it's a normal international match but in in this case it was like the fucking favored side didn't show up and the scrappy underdog side fucking rammed them off the pitch and then the favored side got their shitty goal in minute eighty five. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's almost analogous to the difference between two points dropped or two or uh, four points saved, yeah. right? I mean, and this feels like, you know, two points dropped for the U.S. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in. Um, it's time for our bad takes of the week. Um, we have a few of them. Um, normally, we just have, like, in the future, we're just going to have one. But, like, these are our first few episodes. So, you know, save us a little bit. Um, Evan, what is your bad take of the week? 
So actually, I can save us a little bit of time, Gabe, because my bad take of the week was absolutely going to be what FIFA had to say about the Syrian national team. Yeah, fair enough. Um, And we've already covered by my furious feelings uh, (laughs) about about that. And I'll just add slightly that it's not just that they're refusing to suspend the Syrian national team. It's that they're actually promoting the Syrian national team as an underdog story that we should all feel good about, um, which is just putting more attention on propaganda for the Syrian regime. And and I I can't stand it. It's all fucking garbage. And like anything that makes fucking FIFA look terrible, like this is all terrible. And anyone who doesn't look at this and see that this is all objectively fucking terrible, like reassess where you are like oh my god like the syrian like team that you know is literally representing this oppressive regime is qualifying for the world cup i mean like fair enough like they did it despite the fact that they were like that they had their some of their best players fucking executed by the regime like think about that man they had to play in in malaysia instead of damascus you know why because there's a fucking civil war going on in damascus it's unbelievable like and it, it sucks because, like, in, in a lot of other situations other than the one in Syria, like, you might actually feel for this team and you'd be like, yeah, I'm rooting for them. Like, I actually do feel for the players, right, because who the fuck knows how they feel, but they're being compelled to by essentially at gunpoint and not just at gunpoint pointed at their own fucking heads, at their whole family's fucking which heads. Is, so like, which is why it's so incumbent on FIFA, a third party, to step in and make this decision for the players since the players can't make the call themselves. They don't even have their passports. Like, FIFA fucking has to have some moral agency here and do the right thing and they won't no of course not because they're fifa and they're terrible all right so i've got a couple of bad takes um really the the bad take that i wanted to focus on before i do my um so one of the so what i really want to do is i'm going to end this show doing a reading and it's i I, we're not going to do readings every week and i'm not going to read everything about this but it's one of my favorite articles ever it's what we base the podcast we base the podcast title on this and we probably should have done this as a reading last week but i forgot uh, <laughs> uh, we'll do that later, but this is the bad take that I wanted to say, and this is the Barcelona. So here's what happened: Barcelona uh, first tweeted uh, a picture of empty pizza boxes and, and saying something like, "Everyone, make sure you stay here all night. Like we're gonna have great news for you on transfer deadline day in Spain." So they said that, and they didn't sign anyone. <laughs> so they kept everyone. Uh, absolutely on 10 derricks and then fucking just like, nah, we didn't, we didn't manage it. We didn't manage it. And so they called a press conference the next day with their sporting director, uh, uh, Albert Soler and, and, and Ruet Fernandez. Uh, and it was just an embarrassment. And, and the, the money quote here is, um, all right. What happened this summer has led to a completely different football model. Sorry. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I mean, like, I kind of wish that shit like that had happened during this press conference. Just, like, fuck, fuck <laughs> them. Like, all right. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Not right now. <laughs> uh, what has happened this summer has led to a completely different football model. We were used to a model where the big traditional clubs like Barca called the shots. But things have changed. Now we're seeing countries, investment funds, representatives and the like but above all countries dictating the terms of the market. <laughs> I just, I can't, I, the, the fucking balls it takes to get up on that stage and, and say that shit after you, like your fucking two plus billion valuation club fails to sign people that, you know, it's it, like, oh, well, we couldn't cut, like you decided that you wanted to play hardball in a deal like for over 10 million euros, like for Angel Di Maria or like, Oh, like, well, we're not going to meet Liverpool's asking price. And the next day they came out and they were like, well, Liverpool was asking for 200 million euros. It's like, and Liverpool was like, nah, man, we weren't. Like, we didn't even say that any at any point. So, like, every single thing about this just looks like a whiny, like, kid on the internet who's just like, well, I wouldn't have wanted that Call of Duty if you weren't losing those hacks. It's like, no one was using hacks, you piece of shit. Like, you've been doing this whole thing, the same exact fucking thing forever. Ah. Oh. It's an unbelievably so, embarrassing take, I think. I mean, Barcelona just spent – what did they spend on, on Usami Dembele? 145 million. 45 million euros. Shut the fuck up. Right. 
And, like, and they got there. They fucking took in 226 million euros for Neymar. Like, it's just it yeah. is unbelievable. Like, yeah, like, go, I mean, I just don't know what else to say. It's it's just it, it's kind of like gaslighting their fan base. Right. Yeah. Uh, nah, nah, we couldn't afford these guys. What are you talking about? It's, it's so much money. I mean, like, could we you don't have fucking any, afford okay. these guys? Like, motherfucker, I'm not a fucking billion dollar corporation, asshole. Like, I I couldn't afford it. Like. Oh, uh, we're playing up against countries. Yeah, you are a little bit, but like not really. Like, is like Manchester United or AC Milan a fucking country? No, they're no. not. So they had to like, and they had these plenty of fucking people. And it's just, it's Look, unbe- I just can't, if, I can't. If, if if Tottenham Hotspur came out and had the same press conference, you'd go, eh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, right. No, no, that's right. Except for the this is the third most highly valued club in the in the entire world. Like that's just yeah. what it is. So like yeah. if. If they, the, these this guys cl- can't make this argument. It's just fucking whiny bullshit, and it's nonsense. I, I, it's, and it's hilarious whiny nonsense, and it, everyone should understand what that is. All right, so the bad take of the week. That that is the bad take of the week. This is our reading, really quick we, reading series, and and what we're gonna do is very quickly. Um, I love this. This is such a great take. Um, so this is the fucking pinnacle of this genre of how to fix football uh, for American audiences. And it's written by uh, Richard A. Epstein at the Hoover Institution in uh, right after or before or right after the uh, 2014 World Cup. So he wants to fix soccer. It's called Make Soccer More American. And I'm just going to quickly, Mr. Epstein has a lot of interesting takes. Um, he would like to, for example... Uh, note that soccer (laughs) soccer is an under-officiated game. A soccer field is larger than an American football field, yet on the the field the game is only one referee and two linesmen, each of whom patrols only half the field. Doubling the number of officials should reduce the number of errors. I, look, in principle, that, that makes sense, except for the fact that, Evan, if you actually think hard about that, it means that they'd have two people running around the middle of the field, and they would actually disagree and have to talk and yeah, pause yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's – and how, how has how – has, how could anybody who's seen how much over-officiating has ruined the NFL – complain that soccer is under officiated. And the funniest thing about this is that actually I kind of get that take from someone who like doesn't really watch soccer. Like actually fair enough guy. Like you, you saying this kind of all makes sense. I, I think it's dumb. Right. But like, I kind of get it. Like the next one though is, is really, it's really a classic, man. This is one of my favorites. All right. Um, All right. Second, soccer has an atrocious penalty structure for various infractions. Its penalties are either far too severe or too lax. Often a free kick does nothing to help a team, even if it comes as a result of a serious infraction. Interesting. um, I just want to note that we do have a rule that prevents that from infracting, uh, infringing on a team's progress. So, you know, fair enough. On the other hand, yellow and red cards are usually far too severe if they result in the expulsion of a player. The situation gets even worse whenever yellow cards are carried over from one game to another. In every game, all the players should have the benefit of a fresh start. So I, I understand the, like, the, the issue with the yellow card continuance rule. It's an interesting one because it's obviously only based on the World Cup where this really like is a much more complicated thing. But like in, in leagues, like yellow card accumulation is actually a good idea. And so he doesn't understand that that's like a carryover. But fair enough, because, again, he's only watched these World Cup games. Um, So (laughs) uh, the next take, and so I'm just going to, I'm now going to start summarizing. But the next one is this. Basically, having penalties proportionate to the offenses uh, creates perverse incentives and all this stuff. His prescription, though, is one of my favorite ones in the entire genre. Uh. We need to change the scoring system to bring it in line with the rules of basketball, which awards one point for a foul and two points or three points for a basket. I doubt anyone could make the case for a three-point line in soccer, but it would make eminently good sense to allow two points for a regular goal and only one for a penalty. 
I think I think no, I think that he's completely wrong. I think there should be a three point line in soccer. Yeah, no. If we're gonna do this, let's just fucking yeah. do it. You know, yeah. like three points for you know make the you know three points for a shot from outside the box. Why the fuck not? Or if no, like make a three point line if you you hit it from anywhere like past the half half yard. You know, yeah, half yeah, mark. Bo- bombs away, baby. Two points if you're anywhere from open play, and then just one. If you're if you're taking a penalty, and now the question for me is like, do you get two or one if you're on a corner kick? Like, I don't think he knows the difference between those two things. Actually, like, I don't. I think it's probably two, right? But yeah, like, yeah, it's two for a corner kick, three for from far distance, and then one just for you know a lowly penalty kick. Right, and four if your keeper scores. <laughs> and and in like the NFL, then we would or the NBA, we will then just get to see defenders cut down every attacker that has a chance at a shot inside the box. All right, and and the last one, okay. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> The last one, okay, and the last thing he says is this. He he thinks that they should be essentially there should be timeouts. Okay. So that's a classic American prescription for this sport. Um there should be timeouts and there should be uh free substitution so that you can sub in an entire line of eleven like hockey. Could you imagine? Could you imagine just lining up a second shift? I just I don't understand what that how what that brings to the game actually I like this so Epstein like it like he's a smart man like he's a he's like you know look he has like he's a political writer obviously whatever but he's a smart dude like how can you watch this game and think to yourself like actually what we need is fucking timeouts and full line changes like I just don't get it like what you're trying to make football that's all you're trying to do turn this game into American football. Yeah, I mean that's it right there. They 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 want they want starts and stops and you know bring in you know what if you could do full line changes and it's unlimited subs then you know when you get to the attacking third you call a timeout you bring in a bunch of target guys and someone who has good good crossing and you run a play right you run a fucking play. That's exactly what you, no. This is a great point. Like yeah, you substitute for a corner kick, and as soon as the corner kick goes and and you don't or you do or whatever score then immediately you change back to like a defensive lineup to win the ball back then you get the ball back call a timeout and get your offensive players back on the pitch it's, it'd be unwatchable you'd be completely unwatchable and it, it it people who make suggestions like this they miss the critical element of <laughs> soccer which is how fluid it is yeah. like that's the the heart of the game i think is its fluidity um, that's why they call it the beautiful game, right? Yeah. And the, the, the concept of, you know, what, what is worse about soccer is all the fouls that cut people down and start, stop the game over again. Like that's, that's a legitimately frustrating part of the game and, 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 you know, the time wasting and things like that. Like we want to make rules to try to combat time wasting. Sure. But to increase the number of stoppages, that's just asinine. It's asinine. And I actually had a friend, um, and this is the last thing we're going to say because I, I'm very proud that we got this on there, Evan. Because I really wanted to remind, like, to explain to everyone why we chose the name of this podcast. We've been making jokes about how to fix soccer for uh, really forever uh, <laughs> since. It's, since it's some, you could say it's the foundation of our friendship game. <laughs> One could say that. Uh, and I wanted to get this article on there because this is like the, the absolute pinnacle of the genre. But uh, the last thing I wanted to say, I had a friend who said, here's a, like a non-obtrusive way to try to cut down on simulation is that if you get into a situation towards the like, you know, maybe in the last 20 minutes of a match or, or maybe 10 minutes of each half, if one of the players goes down grabbing his head, the, the referee immediately in- initiates the concussion protocol. And like yeah. has to bring the guy off and like get him checked out, and the team has to play with ten men until he clears the concussion protocol. Yeah, I mean, I think generally rules that require you to come off the pitch if you hit the hit the deck at the end of the game um, are good, right? Because it creates incentive where uh, people get treatment if they really need it, and if you don't really need treatment, you're going to have to play with ten men for a little bit, and you hop back up. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting theory. At least I I I, I actually kind of liked it. Uh, just because, like, there's so many ideas to fix this sport that doesn't need fixing that it, it embarrasses you. Like, so I I don't like to talk about all the ideas that I actually have that would make this sport better. For example, like, fucking video replay. It's so obvious that having a video referee in the booth who's radioing down to the to the officials on the ground, like, it's an obvious thing. They're just testing VAR now as if that's, like, a thing that needs to be tested. Like... 
This is an obvious fix. But like, as soon as I bring that up, people are like, oh, good point. And what about timeouts and making fucking yeah, goals from fucking penalties. third, like three points and like fucking penalties oh. only half a point and like blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, fuck yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. This sport doesn't you. need to be changed. And like, suddenly I become like a fucking FIFA purist. Like, fucking Seth Blatter is like the fucking best person that ever happened to the sport. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's not true. No, so. it's not. He's in fucking jail. All right. Well, that was uh, Let's Fix Football for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more of uh, these wonderful hot takes. Probably less of a reading series and more of a shitty take section next week. Um, unless anyone has a reading series that they want to listen to. Evan me make fun of, which would be fine. With yeah, me, send them our way. Yeah, hit us up at Let's Fix Football on po- uh, or questions at Let's Fix That's the other option. So hit us up. All right, guys, it's great talking to you, buddy. See you next yeah, week. It's fun. Talk to you later.